are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So we began tonight with a reading from the prophet Joel, in which Joel sounds first celebratory, Israel is being ever so richly restored by God after a time in which they'd faced desolation due to their failings. And then to a more cautionary tone, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. The writings gathered in Joel, suggests the biblical scholar Garrett Galvin, seem to be a book of unknown origins in that they aren't easily pinned to any specific time or setting. Then again, from the time of the ancient kings right through the exile and on into the time when Israel returned to the land, the people kept stumbling, kept blowing it. They stumbled into corruption, into various forms of idolatry, into unfaith and into disorder. And always there was one of these prophets naming that truth and often, not always, but often, proclaiming that restoration would come eventually. There is, I believe, a fascinating sort of tension between this text from Joel with its emphasis on calling the people back to living rightly, and today's great parable from Jesus, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Ask yourself, first of all, of the two characters in Jesus' parable, which one would be seen as the most committed to the scruples of the Torah? Which one, in other words, might be a pillar of the sort of faithful society that Joel was longing for and calling for? The Pharisee, hands down, consider what we're told. He's not a thief, a rogue, or an adulterer. He fasts. He prays, he tithes. He's a member of a, of a movement, the Pharisaic movement, notable for its fidelity, its faithfulness to the Torah. And he's prepared to put his money right where his mouth is. As Robert Capon has it, quote, If you know where to find a dozen or two such upstanding citizens, I know several parishes that will accept delivery of them. No questions asked. This guy is a pillar, a rock-solid, faithful believer, but one who just might have something of an attitude problem. God, I thank you, he prays, that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You can all but see him looking down his nose at that tax collector who's also come into the temple at the same time, who has the nerve, the raw nerve, to come into that temple, given all that he's been up to. 
So sure, the Pharisee has a bit of an attitude problem. But then again, remember what it meant to be a tax collector. They are Jewish citizens. They are members of Judea, that poor little country that was being crushed under the iron rule of the empire. All around them, people were doing their best to survive Roman rule. And some, like the Jewish zealots, were even willing to consider giving their lives up in rebellion against the Roman overlords. But the tax collectors, they were working for the enemy. They were collecting taxes on behalf of Rome and skimming off a good percentage for their own sorry selves. You'd be making some good money as a tax collector, yet would have no friends aside from the other tax collectors. And maybe even then, you would have had a hard time respecting or trusting them. So pretty much on your own. Chances were pretty good that if you were a tax collector, even your own parents didn't like to admit what you were doing for a living and shuddered a bit when they saw you walking up to the door of their home. Sure, you might be supporting mom and dad with your dirty income, but how can they respect themselves for taking that money? This is complicated territory. Messy, in other words. If someone were to have crafted a straight-up moral lesson based on these two characters, the Pharisee would have been lauded and celebrated, the tax collector condemned. But Jesus was never much interested in raising moral lessons in that vein. So as the Pharisee rehearses his potted speech, praising his own faithfulness and staring down his nose at this man who he considers a complete reprobate, the tax collector then has his turn. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And defying all normal expectations of how this kind of a story should have gone in that world, what does Jesus conclude? I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified, rather than the other, the Pharisee. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you see now what Jesus is saying in this parable, Capon asks? He's saying that as far as the Pharisee's ability to win a game of justification with God is concerned, he is no better off than the tax collector. As a matter of fact, the Pharisee is worse off because while they're both losers, the tax collector at least has the sense to recognize that fact and to trust God which we all really like, of course, particularly because we've been conditioned by years and years and years of hearing these stories in which the Pharisees are kind of written off. And so that's our paradigm. They're hypocritical and they're problematic. 
But we often have something else tucked into the corner of our imaginations to make this parable entirely palatable. We don't mind seeing the Pharisee go down. He is representative of those to whom Jesus is directing the parable after all, those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Boo, boo. But when it comes to the tax collector, don't we all hold this little piece of hope, this little bit of religious purity that says that he will now, surely now, right away, as soon as he walks out of the temple door, he'll begin to reform his busted up life. That somehow this visit to the temple was the beginning of a new chapter in life and one that Jesus was lauding. Why, asks Robert Capon, why are you so bent on destroying the story by sending the tax collector back for his second visit with the Pharisee's speech in his pocket? All Jesus has given us here is this one moment, this one snapshot, which captures one man's blindness to his own failings and another man's willingness to tell the truth of his life to God. It strikes me that while Jesus did care and does care about the choices we make in our lives, those choices aren't about earning our way into his kingdom. Our choices aren't about somehow meriting and deserving grace, but rather they are a response to the gift of grace that we have been given. Whether or not Jesus' fictional tax collector would have been able to clean up his own life is really beside the point. What Jesus wants to show is this one moment when that character dared to be truthful about the mess he was making of his life. Full stop. It is enough. Now back to Joel for just a moment or two. Joel's framework for understanding Israel and its relationship to God is a framework not dissimilar to that held by the Pharisees. Again, set aside all the prejudices that we've built up against Pharisees and remember that they tended to be deeply committed to tithing, faithful to the Torah, rigorous in their exercise of faith. This is what Joel hoped would be ever more the case for Israel as it limped back from a time of loss and corruption and began to launch into a new beginning in its life, a time when your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. If those words have a particular familiarity, a particular resonance for you, maybe it's because this passage from Joel is cited by Peter. Peter, as he preaches his first ever sermon out in the marketplace in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Peter grabs hold of this text from Joel and he preaches... 
He tells that public gathering that all of which Joel had dreamt and all of which the prophets like Isaiah had proclaimed had now in fact come true in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And none of it had to do with how well Israel was living, how perfectly it was keeping the Torah, or did justice, or had mercy, but rather it was all in Jesus an act of sheer, raw grace. Sheer grace. All they had to do, all those people in the town square, was to grab hold and trust it. Trust it as surely as that tax collector in the parable trusted that his tears of remorse were being held in God's hands even if just at that moment, whether or not he was able to set everything right in his sorry, broken, and corrupt life. Trust it. Hold on and laugh at the sheer audacity of God's grace. That ultimately is the message of this gospel and of Joel through the eyes of St. Peter in the streets of Jerusalem on the first day of Pentecost. May we always be enabled to laugh at the sheer audacity of grace, truly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.